0: Is it recording now? One must not get one's knickers in a twist. I'm
1: trying. These are the stories your granny never told. Clint Eastwood loved my apple pie. I was raising a cow and 50 sheep and two sheep. I slipped
0: upon some spilled onions on the road and crashed my motorbike.
1: Hello again, my grannies. It's your host Nikki, and this is Stories Your Granny Never Told. It's a monthly podcast where I interview older folk about the unexpected stories from their youth. Once again, this month I am bringing you a remote interview recorded from my closet, so you'll have to forgive the audio that sometimes cuts out and things like that, but still, overall it sounds pretty good. And I think it's worth it. This month I interviewed Gypsy Haw who was so fun to talk to. He offers us a voyage into old Hollywood, starting from when he was MC of La Cage aux and in Palm Springs, and also his appearances in multiple films. He's also the world's oldest working drag queen, and recently starred in a Miley Cyrus music video, which is how I found him in the first place. And I promise you, he's awesome. We talk about living through Stonewall in New York and the AIDS pandemic and somehow surviving all of it. I mean, Gypsy has his own star in Palm Springs on the Walk of Fame. How cool is that? So without any further ado, Gypsy Hawk. We can start with whatever you want, maybe at the beginning of of your career, however you'd like to start. For maybe um, just introduce yourself. Sure.
0: Well, it's a wonderful thing to be above ground at 88 (laughs) and it's even more wonderful when you get a chance to talk about a journey that other people haven't taken and yet it'll be interesting to see as you travel along. So you'll be in a train car with me and we're going up the tracks and we're going to instead of look at the the scenery that goes by us, the scenery will be us.
1: That is a great metaphor. (laughs)
0: At the age of 18, I graduated from high school in Morristown, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. A year later, with an open call, I became my first professional dance. I got the name Gypsy because dancers in choruses and Broadway musicals and in big companies are called Gypsies because they go from show to show, singers in choruses are not called that only dancers
1: okay so to introduce you you're james gypsy hake is that correct hawk do you prefer if i call you gypsy or if i call you james or it doesn't matter? call me gypsy nobody
0: else the other ones call me james are two people that are still alive from high school
1: okay (laughs) will do and do you prefer the term um a female impersonator or drag queen or... So
0: this is a very interesting thing because uh, I've gotten in trouble with a lot of gay people because I never considered myself a drag queen. And they took that as a personal thing. It wasn't that at all. I consider drag queens people that are beautiful. Yeah. Because I've always thought of drag queens as being beautiful. The RuPaul's of the world. Uh, people that I worked with all these 30 years. Uh, I've never been beautiful. I've always looked fabulous from the neck down. (laughs) I never wore boobs and I never wore wigs. And I just wore fabulous hats and fabulous dresses. Shall I pick a picture up from behind me? Would you see it? You will scream.
1: (laughs) I'll see it yeah the listeners won't but i can certainly describe it or uh show it later on can you see this yes well i think you do look beautiful wow that's a fabulous gown this was taken in lake
0: tahoe when i opened at the horizon casino resort in 2000 this is a roberto Cavalli
1: gown oh, it's magnificent that's what i look like at 70. not bad at all i hope to look that good at 70. <laughs> honey if I looked at oh, you, I wouldn't work
0: a day in my life.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I wish that were true.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, uh, my career started from 1951 to 1969 between some Broadway musicals. And then I was on the road with a, a big group in New York called the K. Gorm Dancers.
1: So you were a dancer mainly.
0: Yeah. Well, what I was, was with a group Like, we would go on the road. We were backup acts dancing for famous people. Okay. Long before your parents were born. Yeah. (laughs) Arthur Godfrey had a famous show. Arthur Godfrey and his friends. And some of the stars from his show, an Irish singer by the name of Carmel Quinn.
1: I've met some folk who say I'm a
0: dreamer. Became famous. And then she would go on the road, and we would have two boys and two girl dancers. And I would be part of that group. So I did all of that at Broadway musicals. And of course, I became very close with Cheetah Rivera. Ladies and gentlemen,
1: Miss Cheetah Rivera. Got no car, got no music, got
0: no misery. And uh, Vivian Blaine from Guys and Dolls. And Cheetah and I are still friends.
1: Oh, great. And
0: I don't hear too often, but when she was in Palm Springs, finally got to see each other after 30 years. Oh, wow. What a reunion. So then I opened my own nightclub in New York. I was too old to dance. I was in my late 30s.
1: Yes, I heard you did. I'm calling you from New York, actually, so that's a nice connection. It
0: was on 58th and 1st, right by the 59th Street Bridge.
1: Okay, sure, yeah. On
0: one side of the bridge was the Eileen Ford Model Agency then, and I was on the other corner. And Gypsies was a cabaret, and we had a gay bar in front. I entertained and introduced singers. Okay. Uh, Jane Oliver got her start there. And Christine Ebersall got her start there at 19. She was a waitress in a restaurant while she was going to the academy. And a lot of people got their start there. Nell Carter sang there. Cheetah, of course, brought in Fred Ebb and John Cantor, and they broke in a lot of songs from their different shows. That's great. And in 1978, when Studio 54 and all that kind of movement was going on. Cabaret became obsolete. Mm. So my club, people were not going there. So I decided uh, I wasn't 50 yet, almost. I went to LA, checked in with some friends of mine that I'd made over the years. And then I just retired. But a strange thing happened on the way to the Forum. In 1979 or 80, a film from Paris called Le Faux opened and with Michel Serrault and Ugo Tugnazzi in the leads. And it caused a stir and won the Oscar for best foreign film that year. But a producer from New York decided to open a restaurant and nightclub with a show called Le Fall*, uh-huh. And he got the rights to do it before there ever was a musical, before there ever was anything it was that in Beverly Hills on La Cienega Boulevard. I came out of retirement. I wasn't even 40 yet. And it's almost, almost 50.
1: So much for early retirement. Yeah, I was
0: almost 50. And of course, it became internationally
1: famous. So you went to dance for La Cage
0: No, I became the host.
1: Oh, you were the host. I was the MC. I'd never
0: done drag before 1980.
1: So that's the first time you did drag, and you were about 50. Yeah, I was 50 in
0: 1982, but the show had already opened for you.
1: Okay. How did that transition work? Um, did they just say, hey, do you want to do drag? No. And you're just like, why not?
0: <laughs> when the nightclub opened, they didn't have a star
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that night, but the, the owner said, we'll have a star by tomorrow. And I was on the guest list with Vivian Blaine, And Connie Stevens was my blind date. (laughs) So that's how Connie and I became so close. And so we went to the opening night. And then the owner said, I know who you are. You're Gypsy from Gypsies. I said, yes. And Vivian Blaine said, well, he's going to be your new host. Uh I never had a dress. (laughs) I never had anything. So Vivian Blaine took me the next day. Her limousine picked me up. We went to Saks in Beverly Hills. She bought me 12 gowns, 12 shoes, Damn. Some makeup, and that's how the history started, kiddo.
1: So you just dived right into it. Well, I
0: just decided to not take myself serious. When I put on the gowns, we became synonymous with me. The beautiful gowns like the ones you just saw.
1: Oh, yeah, I could I could see that happening for anyone, like putting on a gown like that, and you're just all of a sudden like, yes. <laughs>
0: and, and then I talk like this.
1: <laughs> I love it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm qualified to say who's a drag queen or not, but I don't see why you wouldn't be. I mean- Well, no, it isn't that.
0: The shows that I've been in, from La Caja Fall
1: mm-hmm.
0: to Gore from the shows in Palm Springs and the shows he had in Lake Tahoe, Dan Gore always Mm -hmm. called his shows celebrity impersonators.
1: Right, because it sounds fancy. No,
0: what happens is if you come out and you look glamorous, Mm -hmm. but you don't look like a famous woman, then you are a glamorous drag queen you're the drag queen from drag queens
1: okay okay so, so you became a drag queen around what did you say 48 and I, I can't even imagine walking around in heels all day at my age and then you went on tours how how do you do it <laughs> because
0: i never took it serious i what i had to put in my head that there's nobody gonna think of me as a real woman and that is i wasn't Dress like that as a lifestyle.
1: Yeah, it's for fun.
0: Because I had to do two things. I had to entertain the audience and then I had to transport them to a place where they actually thought they were going to see Tina Turner, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I then I had to do me, even though I'm dressed in that. And I changed clothes each act.
1: How many acts? Well, usually in
0: the old days, from Dan's original shows, anywhere between twelve and eight changes a show.
1: How do you get the energy? <laughs>
0: well, you have a dresser, sweetheart. Oh, <laughs> I stand like this, like a scarecrow. Yep, hands out.
1: You just stand, and then they dress you. And just cover me. Okay, still seems like a lot of work. Well,
0: it was a lot of work, but then of course, what are you going to do? <laughs> and of course, I had a resurgence because of Dan Gore. And the shows in Lake Tahoe. Then we opened in Palm Springs. I retired from Palm Springs about a year and a half ago when I moved in with my niece. And um, it's been absolutely a wonderful ride, but the great thing is I never lost myself in the shows. I was always myself. Now, had I been born beautiful or gorgeous, I might have been a different piece of work
1: yeah because you might not have to work as hard to perform because you're just pretty and you don't have to be funny or or whatever my
0: gowns are pretty (laughs) my face never looked as good as that Roboto Cavalli dress here but the thing is that you have to understand from the time La Caja Fall opened in 1980 to the time I left Dan Gore's show at Oscars in Palm Springs our audience's were mainly straight. Wow. They did not mean gay people didn't come. They did, especially in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly a straight audience because it wasn't like if you go to drag shows, uh, you know, and it's wonderful because these performers just get so into the audience. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they put dollar bills down their boots.
1: I've done it. <laughs> yeah,
0: It's wonderful, like Toucan's or other places in Palm Springs and, and and in New York and Paris and London. But in a, in a structured theatrical show, that doesn't happen mm-hmm. because they're in the audience having had dinner and drinks. And when I come out, I'm the only one that breaks that code because then when I scoop them from them, the craziness of me, the women want the dresses and the heels and the men just want to say, what in the world is going on with that guy? He doesn't even have a wig on. And that kind of confusion is so wonderful for an audience because they don't have time to think.
1: Yeah. That's how you kind of get them to escape. You just take them by surprise, I guess. Yeah.
0: You just take them to a place. And then at the end of Dan's show, what's wonderful, we all come back out without makeup, we do it all within this time. We're all in tuxedos, all that action,
1: Oh, lovely. And
0: it's fabulous. Remember, I have not done a film or a television show except for one thing, in the last 20 years. I mean, I've done boodles of films. I've been in some very famous films and I've done lots of TV was on Married with Children and Dynasty.
1: Uncle Otto, oh! you look great
0: and you my darling i could sell you <laughs> lots of stuff and little bits or big bits mm-hmm. you know like to be or not to be. see that's the interesting thing two years after La fall opened in beverly hills
1: yeah every major
0: star and director in the world came in to see the show it was the top show in beverly hills for years
1: and i heard it was very popular in the beginning because it was so controversial
0: it was because reverend falwell and his group would pick it in front and tell all the famous people like rock hudson and elizabeth taylor and people that came in to see the show not to win it because they were all going to catch disease
1: and they're like we're going now
0: <laughs> well, well, rock hudson knocked one of his little disciples out oh. they they touched him as he was coming in with Elizabeth. So he just cold-comped him and then came right in. We never had trouble after that.
1: Yeah, there you go. That's good, like good, bad publicity as well.
0: But anyway, so two years after the show opened, Mill Brooks and Anne Bancroft, his wife, came in to see the show. And Marvin, Mm -hmm. and they saw me, and they were just about ready to do principal shooting on a main film that they were co-starring together in one of their films, called To Be or Not To Be. Okay. And I had never done a feature film. i never done any of that, did know nothing. And they signed me to the fourth lead. I had a co-starring role. Wow. And I played Sasha, and Anne Bancroft coached me herself through the six months of the
1: filming. Wow, that's fabulous. And
0: I filmed all in the daytime, and then I went right on stage in the evening At
1: You seem to have so much energy, I'd be exhausted. (laughs) And I was
0: 50 years old
1: when they signed me. Damn. The
0: film opened in 83.
1: How was that experience working on a film set and making a movie?
0: It was hysterical because (laughs) I was petrified because my opening scenes, my first day of filming, I played Anne Bancroft's dresser in that film. And she was a famous star of the stage in Poland. It was Poland and the Nazis in 1939. Okay. It was, I didn't know what a reverse shot was. I don't either. Well, <laughs> you and I are talking. If we were being filmed right now, this is our major shot. But then the reverse would be the camera would go behind your shoulder and shoot me. Okay. And we'd repeat the same dialogue we're doing now. Then it would reverse and go behind my shoulder and, and hit you.
1: Repeat it again. Yeah. Okay, that's strange. That's completely different to a theater, I guess. But by
0: opening the scene for that, me doing her hair looking in a mirror. Uh-huh. So it was really something. But then I went on to do, because of that, I went on to do lots of
1: films. Yeah, that's a great career bump.
0: I come with Jamie Fonda and Jeff Bridges in The Morning After,
1: Ooh.
0: Shelley Long and *True Beverly Hills.
1: I need to watch all of these. <laughs> I've always wondered, do you get stage fright when you're doing movie even though there's no, not really an audience? No,
0: it's different. No. I'm more frightened of the camera. I, at first I was. Mm-hmm. My, my biggest problem was not feature films. My biggest problem was when I went on Married with Children and we have five cameras. That made me cuckoo, but Katie Seagal got me through that one.
1: Because there were so many cameras and you just didn't know where to look or? The sets, you
0: know, and then mm-hmm. it was uh, wonderful.
1: It sounds amazing. It sounds like a whirlwind of, of crazy events. Did you notice a difference in your audiences in the States and uh, abroad when you were on tour? Yes, it's sort of. But I think
0: it depends on which country you're in. When you're in Helsinki, they Mm -hmm. were much more amenable. We did very well there. This was a different show than dance. But in Russia, no.
1: No, they're not very pro-LGBT. This was a long time ago. Yeah.
0: Remember, I go back to Stonewall.
1: Right, and speaking of that, talk about that a little bit and maybe how things have changed, especially being in New York, I suppose, at that time.
0: Well, at that time, there was a woman by the name of Trudy Heller, and she had a flower shop in the village. She also had a nightclub, Trudy Heller's, and a lot of people sang there, you know, Craig Russell. matter of fact, I don't know if Barbara did, but she was in the Bonsoir. Uh, I saw Barbara Streisand when she was... 19 or 20 it's a bonsoir in the village oh my god trudy heller called me up and said gypsy we've got to go to stonewall because big things are happening there's a big riot going on so i actually was there
1: at the riot when with the riots were going
0: on and they raided the place and the, the people were killed in the fire
1: what actually happened? So, was it the police or were it just like people that were anti gay that raided this club?
0: You know, it's all that awful thing that they would do harassment, them all gay bars, they're just walking you, you, you out, you're arrested just for being there and doing nothing. Um, but they fought back. That's what caused the stroke, the thing. Okay. And then, if you fast forward to the early 80s in LA, you have the AIDS thing building up. So by 1982, 83, there were people that thought by even going within a block, you would catch it. Yeah. Where now we're sitting in our homes. I never thought I'd live through all of those things. I keep thinking about Stonewall. I keep thinking about Lakaja Fall and the AIDS mm-hmm. and um, all those things that I've experienced. And um, it's almost mind-boggling that uh, I've been around this long and have gone through those tragedies, but it gives me hope. We got through Stonewall.
1: Yeah. How did Stonewall change things? After Stonewall,
0: it was a long-time building, but they couldn't harass gay people in bars. Just, that's how they changed things.
1: It just showed that we're not weak anymore. We were
0: not a group of monolithic gay people, that we were very diverse, we could do other things, but we could fight back.
1: It's really powerful.
0: Yes, and that's what's going to happen now. I hope so. This country and the people are going to be slightly different when this is all over.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk about um, the whole pandemic too much just because I'm trying to have like happy episodes, but I do try to look at the silver lining and and look at the societal differences that we're going to see on the other side. And I think there will be some positive changes, at least I hope so.
0: There'll be lots. There'll be lots. And of course, now we're living in a day and age when people that are my age at 88, well, you're considered very elderly, but you're not considered on the cusp of death yet. No. And my mother, my mother died in 1955, and she was 65, and she was considered very elderly. Hmm. So they've created all this wonderful medicine, and they're going to create this one. They'll, They'll do
1: it. Oh, yeah, it'll come eventually. I'm sure of that. And actually, by doing this podcast, I've realized that I wasn't ageist before or anything. But the last interviews I had, I think one lady was 89 last episode was my grandpa who's uh, 76 i think and you are 88 you're all super lively and like have all these great stories just because people are old doesn't mean like they weren't 25 once and doing cartwheels down main street you know like
0: well of course i think that has never changed yeah if you think about when you first started school in kindergarten or first or second grade when you were there, you'll have bits and pieces of memories. Yeah. Anybody that was a teacher was considered elderly. True. Your teacher was, you know. So it's, it's, everything comes around, comes around. But I've been very lucky. The few things that I've had, I have an artificial heart valve, mm. and I've had that for four years. But I'm lucky, 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 because I have Paula, I have her husband Dave, I have this beautiful house. They have two dogs, and I have my little dog. So we have...
1: What kind of dogs? Well, you want to see mine? Yes, I want to see mine. Come on, come on, Nala. Nala, come here. Oh, my God, it's so fluffy. Oh, I love her. And
0: Reggie is right here. we I- are a star.
1: <laughs> it must be so nice to have them around these days. My God, yes.
0: So Paula has not only adopted me, but she's adopted now oh there's only one way to do this and that's do it together
1: yeah one of the reasons that i found out about you because i was just googling like um older drag queens and because i i love drag queens (laughs) um you did a video with miley cyrus i
0: did this came up out of nowhere two years ago and i was still appearing in the show in palm springs Mm -hmm. and miley Decided to write a song called Younger Now. Mm -hmm. And because she had had a conversation with her mom about what it was like. What do you feel like? Do you feel old or whatever? So she wrote this really great song.
1: Yeah, I love it. I listen to it. It's great. You're just up there, like kicking ass.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then she decided not to hire anyone young, yeah. but except she had five little kids that were five-year-olds, and she tried to do the progression. So what she did was, there was a famous show for many years in Palm Springs called the Palm Springs Follies, and these were older people that were fabulous women in their 70s and 80s uh, in costumes and dancing, and um, so some of the dancers from there, in their 60s 70s and yeah 60s and 70s she had as that group that danced okay then then she had a separate group that she wanted to be her gang like david bowie did
1: with the poodle skirts was that is that one yeah yeah
0: so then she wanted to have nine people that were in their 80s and so she picked but she had already signed me. She wanted me to be her dominatrix. So that's Ah! why I was in a beaded dress and a leather jacket.
1: Yeah, and a beret.
0: And so we danced, we did, Mm -hmm. and then we interacted. So that's how it got.
1: And then you were live at the VMAs, right? Was that 2017? Now that
0: was the VMA awards after I did the video. They went nuts. <laughs> I had no idea what I was, and the funny part of it was, Miley, the, the directors, they all exited the forum on one side. I was the only one by myself that exited the exit, and waiting in the exit was Pink, waiting to go on because they oh. were just finishing the dance, and they all went that, but I left first, and so Pink stops and says, "Gypsy." You look gorgeous. I said, but I don't look like you. She (laughs) said, no, you do not. (laughs) So we laughed, (laughs) we have things, And then Rihanna was coming on after her and she had all her bodyguards there. And she Mm -hmm. looked up, she said, Gypsy, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to do your numbers. And she went, I know. So, So I had a resurgence, who would have thought?
1: So like Pink and Rihanna, they just like casually knew, well, you, Pink
0: or... knew who I was. Uh, because Gypsy did... became synonymous with Le Fall. even though they're younger, you know, know, but people know. And of course, they know that I've been connected to these what I call celebrity impersonator shows. And all these mm-hmm. famous people know now that they've always had somewhere, somewhere in the world, there is a drag queen that has actually imitating them yeah some of them like it and some of them do not you know uh-huh. so.
1: what do you so we talked about ru paul earlier what do you think about the sort of ru paul's kind of dynasty and like modern it's drag? different well
0: yeah. is very different wonderful story i mean after all the first impersonator or first male dressed as a female that ever got a major makeup commercial
1: that yeah Yeah, that was like He's very
0: unique, and if you're unique, then that sets you apart from four or five other people. He's so unique, I'm a very different thing. I would never probably be asked to be, I don't think Ru would ever want me on his shows, no, ever.
1: Yeah, maybe he has his own brand of like fabulous drag. Drag race, those
0: queens, you run out of face before you run out of makeup.
1: That is a very good quote. I love that. do you watch Dragon? I race?
0: have. Well, of course I I've known Rue for many years.
1: Oh, you've met Rue? Oh yes.
0: He came to see me several times in the Lakage days oh. before he became so famous. Yeah. And behind me, if you can see it.
1: Yeah. There's a framed star. Yeah, that's my
0: star. I have a star on the walk of fame in Palms.
1: Seriously? Right outside Oscar's and that's it. If I'm ever on that coast, I have to go and stand there and take a picture. That's amazing. Whose star are you next to? I'm on the same line
0: as, um, what's her face? Lauren Bacall. And quite a few of them. Yeah. I'm right there by Oscars, which is where we did all the shows.
1: Okay. I hope I get to go see it once we're allowed back outside. (laughs) You're such a star, Gypsy. Well, at one time I was. I think you still are. Well, you'll be a star forever. I guess. So,
0: yeah, because once you've been on film, you're history. That's it. Yeah,
1: it's The history of everything.
0: They did a documentary, mm. Radical Age. Okay. But that's interesting. There's five of us, all in our 80s, and from different parts of the world and the country, and I was in Palm Springs. I'll
1: have to look for that. That sounds fascinating. Yes. I feel terrible because, like, I don't know a lot of the celebrities that you mentioned because it's not really of my generation. Mike no, Lucille
0: Ball, I used to play the backgammon on my day off at her house.
1: Do you think they could make a glamour girl out of me? Sure. Says right here, we work miracles.
0: But of course, you know Jane Fonda.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, I did the morning after with her and um, Katie Seagull.
1: Yeah. So what's that lifestyle like? I mean everyone says, Oh, celebrities are just normal people. What's your impression? Well,
0: I had two things that most people don't get when they meet or know a famous person. Mm-hmm. All of the people that I met that were very famous all connected me to Lukajfo.
1: Yeah. So you're famous to them, basically notable notable sure i had billboards
0: all over beverly hills and that kind of thing except for lana turner where we would have a special relationship our birthdays were a week apart and we would have private cocktail somewhere where nobody knew but the other stars we knew each other when i do a film with them Mm -hmm. and bancroft always came after the movie was in a can and out she would come to La Cage, would bring her relatives from New York Wow. you know Tina Turner would do that Cheetah would come when she had a house on the west coast too she would bring folks in Elizabeth would come
1: so you met Tina Turner as well yes was she like she was
0: wonderful Anita Baker was so good she would come in Lucille Ball had her own table Ooh. so did Frank Sinatra way in the back he only came twice.
1: But he came.
0: But he came. Stevie Wonder came to see the show.
1: All of these names, I'm, my mind is blown. And then when I would
0: come out to do my act in between each number, mm-hmm. and I'd have a different outfit on, I would describe. For it. Stevie?
1: For Stevie. Oh, that's great. Not that so much
0: when the show was over. Lakage had a big salon, mm-hmm. had a grand piano. Stevie Wonder. Came outside of the piano and did a free show for three songs.
1: Oh, just because he loved your show so much. Yeah. Wow. When did you stop entertaining? About a year
0: and a half ago.
1: So when you were 86 and a half. Yeah. Last
0: film thing I did was Miley Cyrus's, the music video and the VMA award.
1: Okay. And so you've been entertaining, like since you said you started around 18. 67 years. How, how do you have the energy to do so much every night, wearing heels, wearing gowns, even just dancing around? It's just cause it's your passion? No, I don't
0: think of myself in that role as a passionate person. I just keep thinking that I found it as amusing for me to be doing that as the audience found seeing me do it
1: so you just had fun yeah i just became
0: another annex to the audience
1: i did everything but
0: clap for myself <laughs> but
1: if you could you would
0: <laughs> oh yes and i was already standing up so the ovation was easy <laughs>
1: <Encore>! <laughs> uh, and and how have you now adapted to not having that all the time
0: well, because I have such a wonderful niece and her husband, that she's known my career for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to hire me when she owned her own marketing company because she is a professor of marketing at U.S.C. Mm-hmm. She would consider me one of her celebrities, and I would do a lot of the functions that she would set up. Oh,
1: great, you know, It's so fun. We did kind of skim over the beginning. Okay and also let me know if you don't want to talk about this, but uh, were you always openly gay? Because I don't know back in the days how that must have been.
0: No. No. When I started dancing in Broadway musicals and on the road, one thing led to another, and I didn't come out until I was 26, Mm -hmm. and that was with another dancer, and then that's how that happened. It just
1: happened there. was your family like strict or how did they take that
0: well my family was dead by then
1: oh that's a bit easier maybe
0: yeah my mother and father both died within in 1955 within uh, the same year mm. and uh, i was adopted okay and um so i never knew who they were and then my mother had two children
1: your adoptive mother
0: yes after that And so it didn't work out. My mother loved me. The man who was the father of the other two children never wanted me. So when I was 14 going into high school, my mother moved me from our house to the neighborhood where there were two old ladies that owned a big house, Mm -hmm. sisters. So I lived with them all through high school. Wow. And then I never went back.
1: That seems like a really tough childhood, but also maybe for the best.
0: Yeah. When you talk about were you ever nervous? No, because once you've been through that as a teenager, you know, because I was forced then when I went into high school to go into the shows, the senior shows and the junior shows, and I sang and I danced. And in the summer, I would get a job at a a paper mill playhouse in Milburn, New Jersey, uh, an equity playhouse. That's how I got all into that. Um, I just made believe that I had a wonderful life.
1: (laughs) And because you could, because you're in the theater and that's...
0: Yes, I could. When I became an elderly person in my seventies, I considered that, Mm -hmm. I would have some things that I would think about that would make me sad. Mm -hmm. But being sad doesn't make you unhappy. There's a certain kind of sadness that can make you happy because you've survived. It didn't ruin your perspective on life and the people you meet. In other words, you can't take all that trauma and transfer it to other people's relationships with you. Yeah. You just have to let it float away.
1: And also having that experience makes you who you are. Not it's not necessarily good experience, but like you said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because it's um not as hard to destroy you when things don't go
1: right. Right, because you you know how strong you are, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know,
0: if you can pass through that, you can pass through this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's why I think uh, it's hard for people now going through what we're all going through. Yeah. But yes. it's going to happen. It's going to end. Yeah. Then everyone's going to have to probably take a breath and realize that there's some things that have to be done slightly differently.
1: Yeah. And we're going to be okay.
0: And we're going to be okay. We're okay now. We
1: are. Yeah. And I, I usually ask, um, what's your advice for my generation? But you've given already so many pearls of knowledge.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think a person my age should give anyone advice,
1: but you can say, this is how I feel. hmm You know, like I've always wondered why, but I never understood a
0: woman that felt she needed a man. Mm -hmm. I never got that because now is the, this era, 2020, there's no reason for a woman ever to feel that
1: again. We don't need men.
0: (laughs) Well, if you want one, wanting is
1: wonderful. Needing
0: is not so.
1: I see I mean, yeah, we can do anything. It's nice to have someone there, but we don't need to uh, lean on them, so to speak.
0: No, well, a woman nine times out of ten will always be supportive of the important person in her life, whether it's a man or a woman or whatever it is. So that person has to learn that you need supporting as well. that means that you're an individual. And your individuality needs to be supported. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of learning if you don't already know it. When you look in the mirror, whether you're 88 and wrinkles and whatever, or you're 28 and you look in the mirror, if you don't like what you see, you're not going to like what you live with. Yeah. And if you like living with yourself, you're not going to like living with anyone. I like me, so... Um, I I think I'm pretty, pretty cool.
1: (laughs) I think so too. And I think actually RuPaul said it very well. If you don't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anybody else?
0: (laughs) That's true, because you've lost the habit.
1: Yeah, you need to take care of that first. And I talk about advice because you have so much more experience uh, in the world and with people. And I wonder if you'd have advice for maybe younger gay people who are trying to just freaking survive.
0: Well, gay people in 2020 that are young are experiencing very different problems that I did.
1: Absolutely.
0: Very different problems, except the one thing that never changes is what I just said. Learn to live with and love yourself. You live with you and you feel comfortable with yourself and with everything around you then that's going to shed your, your relationships will be that the, the stuff that happens outside now with this, with this situation, we're all in, uh, young and old, um, it's going to change people's vision of themselves. It will.
1: Yeah. Cause they have to live with themselves for a few months now and nowhere else to go. So
0: sing it out sister.
1: good time to take a look in the mirror for sure because nobody else
0: is going to be there with you you're right
1: there yeah yeah that's i don't even know what else to ask i mean unless you have some other stories that come to mind
0: you you might enjoy this sure people have asked me gypsy who is your favorite actress Mm. because you've been in films with so many famous people Yeah. and uh, i said well anne bancroft Mm -hmm. And not just because of her, her art, but because this is a famous, fabulous actress who took the time to take a 50-year-old man that they, she and her husband just signed, and she spent six months. Every single day I was on set, she would teach me and coach me herself. Nobody would do
1: that. That's very kind, yeah. And of course, Mel
0: I'll always love because he signed me to my first film. Mm-hmm. And they would say to me, who is your favorite director you've worked with? Well, I've worked with some of the world's greatest directors, Robert Altman, Sidney Lamette, Ernie Moore from Dynasty. Uh-huh. I think my favorite director is Sidney Lumet. Uh, he directed me in the Jane Fonda, of Bridges film, mm-hmm. The Morning After. It was a wonderful film. It was about a film of a woman who, who was famous at one time and became an alcoholic and a drug user and wakes up in bed with a dead man.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> now I want to watch that movie. <laughs> How is it like working with a director? What's that relationship?
0: Well, they were wonderful to me. Robert Altman, who had his own way of doing things. I've had no trouble with directors. Mel is very exact. You have to understand where he's coming from. His vision is always so clear mm-hmm. and so cut. And you have to fit into that picture. And then it all...
1: You just have to make it work.
0: It works wonderfully that way. Yeah. Robert Altman was just wonderful. Gypsy, this is who you're supposed to be. You don't even need this script. Just do it. Do the scene.
1: That's nice. That gives you confidence. <laughs> yes.
0: And one of my best 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 friends. I've done probably 78 or 80 television shows and talk shows. Wow. And Merv Griffin with the Gabor's. And of course he was very close with Ava
1: Gabor. Uh-huh.
0: And so I miss him a lot because he was always wonderful. He was always sort of laid back. And Johnny Carson mm-hmm. had his issues on many things that people didn't know about. But when mm-hmm they were celebrating his 25th anniversary on his show. Freddy D. Cordova, who is the producer, decided to do a surprise for Johnny. Mm-hmm. So instead of going to his set, he hired this big hotel in Santa Monica, Whoa. filled with everybody, including him for his anniversary. And the show was the entire show from La Fall.
1: Oh, wow. He was
0: interesting <laughs> in many ways, yeah oh one other story yes people have asked me when you're on stage when you were doing lacage what was your most memorable evening
1: that's a perfect question right
0: and i have the perfect answer the showroom and dining room was in one room then it had long poles that were lit up and then behind the poles was a big, big bar, and then the piano bar, Yeah. okay? So we would come in from the side, and it was all open. So I would make my entrance. One night I made my entrance before I introduced the first act, I always came in and did my stick and stuff, and hi, Elizabeth, and hi, Lana, and bye, bye hi, Lucy, and the audience were all stars, so they all knew screaming yelling i came out i had not opened my mouth yet and the whole audience screamed stood up clapping and yelling and i said oh my god it's my dresses because my dress has always made people crazy but i said it wasn't that and i'm going like this what in the world do you know why they did that why because you'll remember who this is i hope milton burl and joey bishop mm-hmm. came snuck in behind me after i focused on the audience and they dropped their pants and both of them were standing there with their boxer shorts on
1: <laughs> and you're like it's my beautiful gown <laughs> that's me. My, I, I, it was
0: quite an evening
1: but that was your favorite time my favorite s- story that's hilarious i love that you're you're just performing because you're having fun basically and that's why you kind of never retired until now i guess
0: yeah, well, yeah. You know, there's just—I mean, you know—if you can see me now, I mean, to lift this face up, you'd need a forklift and a prayer book.
1: <laughs> I think for 88, you look very lively and gorgeous. Well, but they're not
0: going to see me anyway. It's just you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'll—I'll I'll just sing about how beautiful you are, and they can make the image in their mind. And they're not going to see me either. It's just the voices, so they can imagine. Oh, thank you, darling. That's very, very sweet of you. Do a lot of famous personalities have this kind of trait where they're always on?
0: I think their biggest thing that they do is they're able to cut it off like this. You can look in their eyes. You can be talking to them. Mm. You can see how they cut it off. They don't want to be involved.
1: So like you're talking to them, and they're just like, no. Getaway. Yes, without saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, some of them do say. <laughs> yeah. Lana Turner was very exact in Lacage. No one was to come to the table except Gypsy. Lucy was the same way, Lucille Ball. Mm-hmm. She was a Gypsy. I like the one that does me.
1: <laughs> do you think they're just fed up with having people at them all the time? Well, to
0: give you an example with Lucy. Mm. Lucy said to me one time, after one night she was there, and before she left, she always had me to a table and we had drink, And she said, Gypsy, do people ever try and hit on you? I said, For what? She said, Money. I said, Well, yeah, I guess they do. She said, Here's the way to do it. <laughs> she handed me a card. She said, Have these cards printed up or get? And when they ask you for money, you say, Yes, more than happy to do it. You hand them the card and you just say, call this number, talk to this gentleman, he handles my money, it'd be perfect.
1: And then they just call to like a dead number?
0: No, they call there and they get that lawyer or the number and say, I'm so sorry, but Miss Ball is not able to do it at this time.
1: Did did people do that to you too? They just befriend you to get something out of your fame?
0: And now I'll tell you why Lana Turner, many years, would not autograph anything. Because she did that at one time and someone got an imprint of, of how, I don't know, and cashed a check for twenty five thousand. So she
1: never did that again. It's such a shame. Yeah, crazy stuff. I never want to be famous because of stuff like that where it, it seems a bit toxic sometimes. Well, I'm
0: not so sure that people are going to be famous in that way again. Taylor Swift is about as famous as you can get. Yeah. But she's she's not anywhere near like that. And they keep a certain lifestyle. Look at Miley. Mm-hmm. You know, she does her thing and did her thing. And of course her house burned down in Malibu and, and the marriage went, but that's her thing. But she was as sweet to me. She would come on set for rehearsals for the uh, music video. Mm-hmm. She always made sure she came to me personally.
1: That's so sweet. Hi, Gyps.
0: How's everything? Of course, a lot of the other people in the cast were not amused with that.
1: They were jealous. Well, I don't know if they were jealous.
0: I think they were just put out. They had no idea what made me special. I was an old, a scarecrow, an old man.
1: But oh, they didn't know you? Most of them did
0: not, no. Mm.
1: Is it like that that people are kind of fighting over attention a lot? Used to, mm.
0: with me. Because when you're not in films all the time, my doing that video and the VMA Awards shocked so many people.
1: I'm glad. There's there's a thing about like being a badass older person and just dealing with it and being cool I don't know well you're lucky to be my age
0: and have something to talk about
1: you have a lot of stories for sure I do just out of my personal curiosity what are some tips to doing drag
0: two years ago I hit the Guinness Book of World Records I was declared the world's oldest working drag queen
1: nice congratulations well
0: I'm sure there's others now older than me but I don't know
1: have to come and fight you for the title (laughs) on a lip-sync battle
0: (laughs) question is difficult for me because i'd be the wrong type of impersonator to ask that because my makeup is just you know
1: i mean i'm not asking because i want to become a drag queen it's more like i'm trying to get an insight what does that preparation look like
0: for me nothing nothing i just go on a little base then i take liquid liner and make an eyebrows way up <laughs> and then blue cobalt lo- big false eyelashes lipstick and then from the neck down the dresses are to die
1: gowns and heels
0: yes six inch heels
1: i can't even walk in those that's just yeah i used to wear JLo's a lot oh uh, okay and it didn't like mess up your ankles or anything
0: hell no <laughs> and during the cause fall days here's some more history
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was only three men that ever had their legs insured for a million dollars.
1: You had to insure your legs? Yes,
0: Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, and me, Lloyds of London, insured my legs for a million dollars.
1: Wow, because if you broke a leg? Well, no,
0: because my legs were so beautiful.
1: Well, yeah, of course.
0: That's what they said, <laughs> but they weren't as beautiful. Sid Charisse used to tell me, but my legs, I said, I know Sid, she said, my legs are insured for a million too. Sid Charisse was a great dancer. <laughs> And a great film star. And she had the most beautiful legs in the world.
1: But yours were equally as beautiful, apparently. Well, let me put it to you this way, dear.
0: If my face was as pretty as my legs, I wouldn't even be on this program.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you'd be somewhere up in the hills. I'd
0: I'd be up somewhere.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm i'm really glad that you came though because it's a fascinating story and i i've got a lot more films to see now yes. i'm just i really appreciate hearing this story and you tell it with such positivity and it seems like you had a great time and you're still having a great time
0: yes i i am when i wake up in the morning it's not when i wake up it's if i wake up <laughs> well if has gone for the day so i'll just hit my walk throw on the mask and the streets are all empty when I walk in the morning, so I don't see anybody, I don't talk to anybody. And, uh,
1: well, thanks for doing this, I really appreciate it. It's been great.
0: I can hear you. I think we better say bye-bye, because you're starting to stop moving and talking.
1: All right, sorry about that, but thank you so much.
0: Oh, I love you, thank you much.
1: So, as you heard, we got cut off because of bad internet, but I think you get the picture. Gypsy was basically a badass dancer slash MC slash actor slash superstar. You can see all of the pictures now on my website. For each episode, I compile a little slideshow so that you can kind of get a visual of what the guests look like. All the links will also be in the show notes. So if you like that and you want to hear more episodes drop on the 14th of every month, please leave a review. I post them every sunday on instagram when i get a chance so if you want to get featured there leave a review on itunes you can also follow us on social media for updates at stories your granny never told instagram facebook and twitter and also now newly on pinterest you can contact the podcast at stories your granny never told at gmail.com and if you're not technologically minded the voicemail is at 332-203-2059 so my grannies get some binoculars and you know Look for birds outside your window, if you need to keep busy. It's migration season. If you happen to see your neighbor sunbathing naked, it's not my fault. Don't call it. See you next month. Remember, girl, you run out of face before you run out of makeup.